Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by IK Multimedia. IK Multimedia gives musicians access to the most famous and sought-after guitar gear and studio effects of all time with our Amplitude and T-Rex analog modeling software. Now, IK has created the ultimate all-in-one bundle for bands and engineers, the Total Studio 2 Max, combining all of IK's award-winning amps, effects, sounds, and more. It's everything you need to track, mix, and master your music. IK Multimedia, musicians first. For more info, go to www.ikmultimedia.com. And now your host, A.L. Levy. This show is brought to you by URM Academy, the world's best education for rock and metal producers. Every month on Nail the Mix, we bring one of the world's best producers to mix a song from scratch from artists like Meshuga, Periphery, A Day to Remember, and Bring Me the Horizon. And we give you the raw multi-tracks so you can mix along. You'll also get access to MixLab, our collection of bite-sized mixing tutorials, and Portfolio Builder. Pro quality, multi-tracks cleared for use in your portfolio. You can find out more at nailthemix.com. Hell yeah. Andy, Marsh. Yes. Hi. Hello. Hi. How are you? Well, you know, I'm good. It's good Thanks to for see being you. here. No worries. It's good to be back. It's been a few years since we last got together. So. Yeah, you, last time I saw you was at my old studio in Florida. Yes. Back when you came to visit the The man the in the wheelchair. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And also, uh, we did a, a podcast Thing one time on creative live. Skype. but that was before that that was before that. yeah okay. it all gets blurry because yeah I it's know. been so long oh yeah you've stayed pretty active since then yeah i've done a few things since so then. that was just so everyone knows that was uh 2014 right yes it was when in uh, fall yes september late summer september 21st oh well i think so, no memory. shit october fuck i don't know no <laughs> Trying to piece it together. It was. It, w- it would have been August or September. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. You, I think your bassist, Putney, yes. came with you? Yes, the three of us. Yeah. And we had this running joke that Sean, the guitar, the other guitar player in my band, he was playing bass at the time, was uh, Hans Zimmer's engineer. <laughs> so he was walking around your live room clapping, and Will and I were telling other people that he didn't speak any English, and <laughs> he was just calling out, like, woodwind over here, good spot for woodwind. <laughs> People thought he was crazy. Did I just... Is that how bad my memory is? I don't know. Yes, the answer is yes. Yes, yeah, you don't remember that? No. Yeah, six and a half foot tall red-headed guy. No, no, I remember that. That's your bassist, right? Yeah. Oh, okay, I thought you said your guitarist. now he plays guitar. Oh. He's flip-flopped. He started playing bass as a child. His father bought him like a Warwick or whatever. Does his dad hate him or something? His dad's a bass player also. Oh, okay. So he's he's grown he up playing himself. bass. He's, he's fantastic at bass. And then he would play guitar whenever the band could find a bass player but not a guitar player. <laughs> and okay. we would just flip-flop him. He's very versatile. So your current guitar player. Yes. Then bassist. Well, yeah, he's done each one for various stints four or five times now. <laughs> so just guy in the band that... He's just a guy in a band... I remember him walking around saying weird shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he says a lot of weird shit. So so that doesn't surprise me. Yep. But I guess in the past four years, I I guess one of the reasons that I brought you on Creative Live before that, maybe a few months before that, 
was because um, Putney told me about you. I didn't know about you. I had heard of your band, but I was like, do you know of any smart people that can bring on a creative live? I have to do yeah. a creative live. I'm looking for like intelligent people who can talk about music and who are going to be articulate and not... I need someone from a band. I don't know about articulate. Well, but. just go with me on this. <laughs> I, I told him I need somebody from a band, uh, but this is going to be an educational thing, so they need to be able to speak and hopefully have some sort of a story. I can't just have... Because, you know, sometimes when you get oh, band yeah. guys in interviews, it's like watching a sports interview where it's like, yeah, the team played well yeah. and... Uh, <laughs> We, we had a great game. A Ricky and Bobby and Talladega Nights, you know, what do I do with my hands? Yeah, exactly. So Will was like, this dude has an amazing story, and uh, you should have him on. He's very articulate, so I trusted him. Well, thanks, Will. Yeah, thanks, Will. So yeah. that's why I had you on, and uh, you told me about your story, which we're going to get into, and I was super impressed by it, and super impressed by basically how you overcame adversity, but not just overcame adversity, but put basically your foot on the gas career-wise and didn't uh, lift off. And it seems like you haven't lifted it off really since mm. in the past four years. Like, since then, what I remember you were actively trying to add mixing skills, but The Artist Murder was already a well-known band, but Ooh, yeah. you guys have kept on crushing it, but since then, what, you've added a label, the studio business? Like yeah, uh, I was recording a lot of bands and producing records in Australia. Um, thankfully, I got to do like one cool one for Nuclear Blast, which was my the biggest thing that I did. But as the band got busier and busier and the touring schedule got more and more intense, I mean, in 2014, when I last saw you, I was on tour for 10 months which straight? Is straight. I Man. left my house in January and I got back in Christmas. How are you married? I'm not married. Okay. Yeah. How, okay, well, there you go. <laughs> well, yeah. I um, thought you were. I guess you not were. married. Not Probably married. never will be. Um, hey, lesson to uh, <laughs> word to the wise, don't tour for 10 months. Don't tour for 10 months and maybe you can get married <laughs> and have a house and normal things. Go in your own bathroom when you want to. But, uh, no, we just... Uh, that was when things really started taking off. We were making a record around the time that I came and saw you down in Florida. Mm -hmm. And since then, I've, I've taken over the management of the band, which keeps me busy a lot. Uh, it's a lot of work. Started my own label. So between the touring and, and both of those things, it's, there's not really a lot of opportunity for me to work in a production capacity anymore. I mean, production, so, a full-time producer... Is I had to quit too. Oh, Joey, yeah. Joey had to quit too. Like when we started. I mean, when I left Florida, I the idea was to start this company. Like I had been looking at starting this for years, but what was not totally certain in my mind was whether or not I would occasionally record bands or keep it going. Or and in the first year, it still seemed possible but man as soon as this became like a thing like a real thing there's absolutely no way oh yeah it's just I mean, not possible pr producing a band and and or engineering a record is like a 24-hour day job you got to mm -hmm. eat sleep breathe the record and when you got to do that for <laughs> five other entities yep uh it gets a little bit tricky so thankfully this year i'll have the opportunity to work on some some do a lot of writing and pre-production for some other bands but in terms of taking a record from beginning to end, I just don't have that kind of time. 
So you're involved in the business of the studio? No, no, no not in not in Will's studio. Okay. Um, but in terms of bands that I'm working with on the side, got it, and working with them, writing songs or working mm -hmm. on pre-production and so forth. Do you, how? I mean, how do you make that work? Uh, as far as finding the time, like do you do it on? Yeah, it's the road? it's very hard. Um, thankfully, I've acquired or developed some sort of otherworldly time management uh, skill in the last five years. Let's talk about that. Yeah, it's it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing. It's kind of like <laughs> cash flow, like money coming in, money going out. When to hold it, when to push it. Same with time. You know, it's just another another thing to yeah, have. Yeah, but time doesn't come in. No, it, it just, time goes. just goes out. It just keeps it keeps going. <laughs> yeah, it's not like you're getting a, so, a replenishing supply. That's yeah, right. fortunately, I've just developed the world's first time machine, so I'm able to do a lot of these things. <laughs> that um, explains a lot, actually. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's it's just about okay. I have to do this, or I would like to do this at this particular time. Make sure that everyone, you know, you have to have a really strong line of communication. We need to be ready to go because my time is very important and I only have X amount set aside. So but you're talking about like when you're talking to potential client yeah, for your to, songwriting to, service. Yeah, to bands that I might be writing yeah. with or, or doing handling some pre-production and, and arrangement stuff. So I'll say, oh, well, look, I've, here's the times that I've got where I'm not physically tied to a location because mm -hmm. that's another issue. Certain times I might have time available. I'm here today, yeah. but I can't be but, working on a band in Australia for a couple of hours. You're here today in the middle of a tour. Yes. But I did hit you up About how long ago. ago? It's been a minute. Yeah. 30, 45 days ago. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's a good minimum amount of time to advance things. Yeah, more, just so. to get you for a morning to do a podcast. Yes. Yes. So. Gets tricky. So I'll, I'll just make sure that they know how important it is to be, to be organized. And then it's just a matter of what work would I have had to do otherwise in that time and, and crushing it ahead of time, getting it mm -hmm. done so that when you go to work with an artist, you're not sitting doing some paperwork or doing your accounting. Or oh, you mean like stuff that's not even related to that artist? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So that you can just kind of be doing it with them for at least, you know, eight hours a day. So, okay, so because you have the management of the band, um, which is basically the management of a business. Yes. Um, I know that there's a lot involved with that and that it is also a 24-7 thing. The music industry doesn't Ooh, just stop. Yeah. So speaking of that paperwork and all that stuff you have to do, um, do you have any like concrete methods for time management when it comes to getting rid of all those tasks so that you can then focus on your project? Yeah, there's been a few tools that I've kind of started using over the last four or five years. Um, there's a great built-in, I'm an Apple guy, so I've got an iPhone, a MacBook, an iPad, an iMac, everything. <laughs> and I, I use the cloud a lot. So having the reminder app, you can put in reminders. It's mm -hmm. like a to-do list. You can also put alerts on those to cue when something has to be done. Mm -hmm. And as you can do it no matter where you are. I can say it into my, my wristwatch and it'll put it on my laptop. Oh, you got the, the Apple phone. The app, yeah, the Apple Watch. So if I I'm... mean, Apple Watch, that's right. You <laughs> yeah. don't wear a phone on your wrist. No. Well, it's kind of like a phone. You can take a phone call on it. <laughs> but if generally you think about these things that you have to do at random times and it's just about making a note and sometimes, I mean, all the time actually for me, someone this busy... It's very difficult to just make a mental note, like, oh, I've got to do the grocery shopping on the way home from work. It's 
You know, did you used to do it that way? Because I, I, I did. I did. I did for a long time, and, it, and it became very emburdening because all of a sudden you're just chasing. You say, like, "What was that thing? What was that thing?" It's, the solution's right there on your phone. Make a list. But I'm sure that there was a point, or there, uh, there was a point probably where you started fucking up. But I'm sure that up until that point, you could handle your whole life in your head because I know that for me it was yeah. like that like my entire schedule for like a year and like everything I could just do from memory and there came a point in the past two years where it was like I need to accept that I've been defeated and get a digital aid. Absolutely. Um, one of the big tipping points for me was so I was in the band and everything in the band personally affects me. And generally, you want to know what your personal schedule is. I'm going to go on a vacation. I'm going to go and do this. And those things are inside your head all the time because it's you're personally affected. You're the, the, the passenger in the vehicle that you're mm -hmm. driving. What happened for me was I started managing other artists. And uh, I'm not in okay. that car. I'm driving it remotely. Yes. So that day-to-day -day reminder, oh, we're going to here tomorrow, we're going to here tomorrow, I, need to, to, I needed much. to know that. But when you're talking about five different artists and a label and a this and a that, it becomes completely ridiculous to expect the human brain to be able to store all of that and cure it. And, and the other thing is I'm traveling every day. So I'm working with three major different time zones, Europe, Australia, and the United States. Mm -hmm. And then there's multiple time zones within those, those regions. So to know, oh, it's this time in... Melbourne and I have to launch this thing, it's not going to happen. And, you know, even if, like, you could handle it 80% of the way, yes. The what I noticed was when it got like that for me, I could still handle 80 to 90%. Like, most of the time, it would be fine, but then it would just be, like, one stupid thing where I booked a flight for the wrong month or... Oh, yeah. Like something like that, which is just an easy mistake to make, uh -huh. but that has lots of repercussions. Oh yeah. Um, that's when when I made the decision because, like, I can still pretty much I could tell you our itineraries for the most part for the next year from memory yep. and airports and everything, mm -hmm. who's coming on, who their managers are, where the contracts, like all that. But yep. if I don't write it down, at some point I will fuck up somebody's plane ticket. It just will happen. Yeah, and, and the, you know, this happens with any kind of management that's, that's dealing with a lot of different clients or mm -hmm. providing a lot of different services. And whilst it might be a small error on their part, and they go, oh, it's fine, just book another flight or whatever, that person's directly affected. They yes. miss the flight, they miss the first show of a tour, they miss a rehearsal, they miss a this, they, they miss delivering a product on time. Mm -hmm. So the, you know, the... The risks aren't just what you did. It's there's a, a massive trickle-on effect, and you know, someone like yeah. me, I'm booking. I mean, just the other month, I probably booked about a hundred flights in one month. <laughs> so, you know, you think uh, each one of those is uh, someone different with a different story on that day, trying yeah. to do something else. And if I make an error there, it's just more of a mess to clean up. So it, it's important to do things right from the very beginning. Luckily. Most airlines have a 24-hour grace period. In the United States. In the United States. Not in the rest of the world. Oh, really? Yes. Virgin Australia does. Well, 
No one wants fudge in Australia. I'm yeah, lucky I flew I them to a... Australia and it was great. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm a Qantas guy, American Airlines, British I should, Airways. I should try Qantas. I've heard you they're you great. You should do. They're fantastic. Highest rated in the world. They are. And I have the highest status attainable, so You get treated like a human. Well, yeah, and I'm given certain uh, luxuries there, you know, and, uh, nice. and, and grace periods that maybe someone else might not Dude, It makes a huge difference, doesn't Massive it? Massive difference. Uh, it's not about... I Like, it's it's funny. It's really not about looking cool or anything. It's about getting well, treated like a human and being able to possibly rest. Yes, reliability, like speed of processing. I mm -hmm. mean, some people go on the airport three hours early. I go to the airport 30 minutes before the flight, walk straight through, get on the plane first. Mm -hmm. You know, and that, it sounds like such a stupid thing to, yeah, oh, to gripe about. Oh, it's but not. When you're talking about saving minutes in your day... That's a lot, and for someone like me that flies upwards of 200 times a year, I mean, one extra hour times 200, <laughs> that's a whole week. Yeah, that's that's really funny. That's very similar to w when we teach people uh, workflow tips for the studio, and we're like, yes. certain things are like, uh, I'll just, one real basic one is uh, we talk a lot about session maintenance like getting rid of all the garbage files and mm -hmm. all that stuff so your session loads quickly because if your session you know invariably by the time you're towards the end of a recording every session is huge yep. it starts to take longer and longer for a session it takes to load longer and longer if it's going it to crash more often yeah. more than likely dude if it takes 10 minutes that i remember one point in time where sessions would start taking 10 to 15 minutes at the end of a record mm -hmm. times how many songs you work that day times how many days you're working on times how many bands yep. you get to that point with and it ends up being i calculated it actual entire weeks out of your year and it's the same thing um so are you a member of pre-check and clear no i'm a clear member dude you should get pre-check too yeah, if you can. No, it's just finding the time to go and do the interview process but trust me you want to yeah i know you do i mean it only benefits me in the united states so that's yeah. another reason why I'm kind of being lazy on it, but I do really want to do it. You do, because... And the global entry as well. Yes. Look, because clear is great, you, as you know, because you get to the front of the line, but then yes. you get to walk right through. So I've, I've clocked it sometimes 39 seconds from yeah. getting to clear and putting down my fingers to getting through security, 39 seconds. And I've, I've posted about that, and a lot of my friends that travel have made fun of it or like gotten bitter and been like... Yeah, well, some of us don't think that that's a necessary expense. But when you're traveling a lot, mm -hmm. like we said, just like a 10-minute load time on a session over the period of a year, oh, yeah, yeah, those two hours at the airport over times Makes 200. Makes a big difference. Yeah. And my baggage gets handled with respect. You get it generally. first? Yeah, they'll, they'll tag it as first-class baggage. Mm -hmm. And then I've got like a, for the band, a... a particular special top secret baggage policy with American Airlines so everything just gets funneled through uh, the only time we ever lose a bag is when we're flying with KLM unfortunately and it's always Damn one of my guys. guitars yeah so don't fly with them <laughs> very very bad all right cool well yeah. thanks for I'm just kidding <laughs> so it's the thing that I'm getting from this and that I think is interesting about the time management is that and I know this from Joey too. Like he's a big time management person. You know, mm -hmm. runs multiple companies, and yes. uh, there's a lot that he has to keep up with all the time. Is he's just an Apple person? He does it all through Apple yep. stuff. Um, 
so do I now, like, so do you. I think the key is to find a system that's simple and that will work on all your stuff. Like, there are expensive, complicated systems that seem really cool. Yes. But the problem with those is, A, you have to learn how to use them, and that right there is an investment in mm -hmm. time. B, it's sometimes hard to get them to uh, talk to other people's oh, yes. time management systems. When and if you're interfacing, a party yeah, it thing. can be a bitch. And uh, three, like, if it's on something like Apple, it's going to work and it's going to keep being updated in a way that works. And it's simple, it's integrated in your life. You don't need to, like, you don't need to do something else just to be able to do this one thing. 100%. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's. A lot of people say, well, I can get this laptop for, with better specs for cheaper, and this Samsung phone's better than this Apple phone. I'm like, well... Maybe it is. All of my stuff is integrated, and mm -hmm. that is where the power lies. Not in the individual device, but in the, the compatibility mm -hmm. and the interface. And most people that I work with have Apple devices also, so, you know, synchronising the Notes app. I mean... Mm -hmm. For instance, I generated a shopping list for my tour party. So Wait, wait, tell me about this. I didn't know about synchronizing the Notes app. The Notes app, um, I use it on my laptop and on my, uh, on my cell phone. You can cloud share that also, just mm. individual notes. So this last week, everyone's like, oh, we need to make a shopping list. So I just made one in the Notes, shared it to everyone on the tour party and said, put what you want to buy in there and it'll get bought for you. What the hell's wrong with it? It gets wiped every day. Uh, the Apple calendar. So yeah, I have maybe 10 calendars, a personal one, one with my partner, one for management, one for recording stuff, one for the label, and then one for each band that I work with. Mm -hmm. And if you just share it to all of them, as soon as you enter a new event in, they get notified. <laughs> you share every calendar with every one of them? Every calendar with everyone involved with it. Oh, okay, I was going to so, say, that... That seems like a big burden for lots of people. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. So okay. for the band, everyone in the band, and I then see. there's just a crew one, then there's one with the band and the mm. crew, and, you know, and then I don't know if you guys use Slack. I've got a Slack oh, as yeah. well with various different work groups. So We use the shit out of Slack. Yeah. It's great it's cool. for certain things. Yeah, I, I don't really realize the true value of it because I don't need to. Most of the tasks that have to be performed have to be performed by me, unfortunately. Well, so uh, Here's the value in it, in my opinion, is when you're dealing with product creation yes. in real time and mm -hmm. you're not in the same place, which is reality for us because we're an internet company. Right. And, you know, for my other company, the Beard Oil Company, is also an internet company. And then Joey's companies are internet companies. And Joel's other company, even though he's in the same place with one of his partners, everybody else is through the internet. So we need a way to be able to talk in real time, uh, like when we're creating a graphic or just doing something in real time. It's good to have this method where it's so easy to share files and it's just so easy to to like get work done together and communicate. However, it has its limitations where, you know, if the conversations get too crazy, you end up with like a thousand messages. So you don't want to, yeah. I've noticed you don't want to have serious, uh, like strategy meetings or like talking about the future or like stuff like that on yeah. there or like serious meetings like that should be done elsewhere. But I think Slack is great for teams to, 
attack problems when they can't be physically yeah. in the same space. That's cool. Can you, and you can assign like a, a task and assign yes. someone responsible to it. Mm -hmm. I do like a similar thing, but I just use a Google Doc spreadsheet. Um, that for works all, great all too. Product management that we do with Nuclear Blast or with Human Warfare for releases mm -hmm. all goes into one of those and has a timeline and a responsible party list and a checkbox. And, and we use the shit out of Google Docs. Yeah, and Dropbox. Yeah. Dropbox is another thing I got to give props to. If I didn't have that, I would be dead. So here's my issue with Dropbox. Um, it ended up. Well, here's the thing. I was using it for production, so. It ended up swallowing my hard drives whole, and yeah, we, you got to you got to delegate yeah. uh, what you sync to your hard drive and what you don't sync. It's tough though, because like for instance, this just came up two days ago. So you know we do a lot of video content. We're mm -hmm. always putting out courses, and um, on a lot of them, I'm kind of like the final line of quality control. Yes, or or something along those lines. I get it. Like, I'll be involved at the very beginning, making sure that it's what it needs to be, and then step back in to, in the final stages, again, to make sure that it's what it needs to be. And so, for instance, uh, there's 40 videos I need to review now, and uh, Google Drive, which they were on, um, made it very unreliable. Like, I couldn't really download them well, Yes. and apparently we needed to sync it the way that Dropbox syncs. But if I do that... We're going to end up with a sink. I'm going to end up with a sink of terabytes and terabytes and terabytes of video. Oh, yeah. And, like, how do I decide which to do and which not to do? So it becomes confusing, at least for me, when dealing with that much content of that size, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, because it was bad enough with band stuff, so with video stuff. Yeah. Talking in order of magnitude. I can imagine. But for... I guess, what, what kind of stuff are you sending back and forth on Dropbox? Uh, I use it for record keeping uh, in, oh, a, in, a, in a similar way that uh, I'm using the cloud mm -hmm. for sharing notes to myself or to others. Oh, perfect for that. Dropbox is a great central system that I can access remotely as long as I have internet access. Mm -hmm. And I will only, I'll adjust, there's a selective sync option so you can decide what goes on your hard drive and what stays up in the air. I'll go through once a week and kind of audit that. What mm -hmm. do I need? What don't I need? Clean up my Mac. Um, but it, it's fantastic. So I have uh, a lot of different folder hierarchy tempa templates that I keep. Here's a tour template. It has all the different folders, all the spreadsheets that I've developed, all the paperwork that I'm going to need for a tour. So and bands, so do they, or do they link to like a Google Doc te spreadsheet template or something? No, no, no. I've, I've just created them in, in Excel okay. and then put them in. So if you're going on a tour tomorrow, I give mm -hmm. you this folder on Dropbox and you go into it, you name the folder your tour. Mm -hmm. It's going to have your accounting, your merchandise, your settlement sheets, Beautiful. agent information, ad mats, the whole thing. And you just populate it with what's relevant to that tour, fill out the paperwork that's already in there and mm -hmm. Bob's your uncle. And they're all categorized by year. And he is my uncle. You know, Bob's my How dad. How do you know? <laughs> is that Australian slang or something? I think shit? so, yeah. Amazing. I don't Bob's know. Your uncle. You never heard that one? No, but I'm about to start using yeah. it. Yeah. Well, Bob's <laughs> hey, my Nick, dad. Hey, Nick, did you know that Bob's your uncle? He, he's, yeah. he's your uncle. He's, That's so cool. But, uh, yeah. Maybe just, we have the same uncle. Maybe. If you I'm have not a Jewish. Uncle but. named Bob. Yeah, but it <laughs> doesn't matter. Bob's doesn't matter. Is. Yeah, you know. He might be the, the tertiary party that links us together. It could be. Yeah, probably not. Hey, Bob, <laughs> if you're watching.
So, all right. So you actually give them an actual Excel file. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, go, it goes in there, and you can uh, you can collaborate on Excel files. You can even have them open at the same time. It has this little down arrow. Someone made a change. We're both in the file. You just click that, and it will resync and update it. So, is similar to the Google Sheets. Yes. I was unaware that you could do that with Excel. Yeah, well, you can do a lot of things with Excel. Well, I know Excel that Excel 97 used to be able to play a little <laughs> video game inside well, of it. You put a special code in. I know you can do a lot of things with Excel. I just didn't know that like you could do the the living document thing. Yes, you can with all of the Microsoft suite. So I've got like the Microsoft 365 subscription, mm -hmm. five devices, synchronizes, nice. and does all this crazy shit. So very very cool. Um, but yeah, various different templates for anything that I might encounter. We're mm -hmm. going to do a record. We're going to have a contract for that record. We're going to have accounting for the record, studio time, flights, accommodation. What do we need to do? Demos, all of that. So it's, it's pre-built. When I start working with a new band, you just create their folder, and it's going to have all of this mm -hmm. stuff pre-built into it, and it's ready to go. That saves so much time. Oh, yeah. I mean, it took me yeah. a, a period of time, probably a year, I'd say, all up, in the background, updating, refining, making things more efficient until I got to a place where I go, this is, I tour the world for a living every day. So mm -hmm. you're gonna run into different problems all the time. And this now covers any issue that I've encountered. And if it's something that you run into one in a thousand times, then I'll just add it in there as security. Mm -hmm. But for anyone else, they would get this and be more than well prepared. All right, so you've covered having a set of simple tools that yes. integrate into your life, having it all on the cloud, having yep. a set of templates, um, making sure that everybody that you work with is well aware of their schedule, well in advance, um, and then making sure that you're aware of everything you need to get rid of work-wise so that you can properly devote your brain to the projects you take on. Yes. All very simple tools that anyone can have. It's just yeah. about maximizing the power that they have. Is there anything else you do for time management, or is that gonna? Uh, I mean, that's a that sounds pretty comprehensive. But yeah, that's that's about it. Uh, otherwise, just go with the flow, and when you're doing something, try and uh, enjoy it, and not be thinking about other things. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, well, it's it's funny. Uh, so like, um, have you seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? Of course, I have. Well, you know, not everyone has. Remember the book that he wrote everything down in? Yes. And he left the book behind or with the girl, and they had to go back to the castle to get the book mm -hmm. and because he didn't remember the, the way to the yes. city. And he's like, how do you not remember it? He's like, I wrote it down so I wouldn't have to remember it. Yeah. And that's actually really a really, really deep, a deep thought in that movie. Like, one of the reasons that you use these tools and you... Get everything out of your head. And even if it's down to just like something like journaling your life or whatever, not even talking about uh, not even talking about time management. But the reason beyond the actual direct benefit for putting all this stuff into a medium is to free up your brain ram to be able to focus on the task at hand, to be more present. Definitely, and that's something that I learned the hard way the last few years as I got busier all. and busier and busier and you're at dinner with your folks and you're thinking about work or you're at dinner with your partner and you're thinking about mm -hmm. work and 
it really started to become not like destructive, but just very distracting to me. And I, I was well, never it can really be relaxing. Destructive. So, for certain people, yeah. I mean, certain people tend to become destructive when they're overburdened. I just try and grip my teeth and get through it all. But you know, now being more organised and planning allows me to enjoy my time a lot more, which is good. You just when I'm working, I'm working a lot harder. And, and more efficiently. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I get a lot of my best work done on planes and in sky lounges. And I think that it's because you have a compressed period of time. Like, you know, you're in that sky lounge for 40 minutes and then you have to go. Oh, yeah. So that's it. So you better knock this shit out now. Yeah. It's great. Go and get yourself a little snack, a little coffee, and you just Fucking sit down at the bar it. and smash it yeah john cleese gave a very good lecture about uh, the power of creativity and and getting tasks done and and an important aspect of that was setting a beginning and an end mm -hmm. for play and and play is a very critical component of uh, accelerated learning and, and task completion the the sense of it's a game john cleese the comedian yes yeah uh because obviously he's a, a fantastic creative and yes. writer so if he had to work on a, writing some stuff and coming up with comedy he would say, I'll start at seven, I'll finish at nine. And whatever happens between then is the time that he's allowed to work on it. And then after that, you have to stop. Mm -hmm. um, and breaking different tasks down into, into small time chunks makes things a lot more like a game and seem more achievable. And then you work harder and faster and more efficiently towards it. You know, what's interesting about that is that I think it's very difficult to do. It's, it's not a natural thing to just do. Yes. I think the natural thing to just do is to just get lost in whatever you're doing and, and just, just keep, keep going or yeah and... or get into or start spinning your wheels like chasing tail and then just keep going Ooh, and going yes. and going and going. I think that uh you know like the way that for me the planes and the sky lounge uh make these limits uh, these constraints, they make them real. There's no way out. Yes. My partner, Joel, one of the things that he's always said is that having a family was what enabled him to crush the amount of work that he does because he has to be done at a certain time. Yes. Like, because there are human beings mm -hmm. that depend on him. Like, he has to. Yep. And uh, so he has only X amount of time to get everything done, and then it's over. There's no way around it. Um, see, I don't have something like that in my life, so it's a lot harder for me to impose. Because, yep. like, you know, like if you're imposing it on yourself, it's a lot more difficult. Uh, yeah, because you can just tell yourself, no. Yeah, no, I'll just keep going or whatever. Yeah. Uh, uh, be relaxed or not be relaxed. How do you, how do you handle it uh, when you're not in a situation where there's like real life constraints like catching a flight or the plane is landing? One of the things that I do is, is geographically separate myself from what is my life and what is a workspace. And I don't have a consistent workspace. I have a few mm -hmm. different locations in the world where I regularly go to work. But otherwise I'm travelling. So it's as simple as where do I spend most of my time on tour? On the bus. So go find a coffee shop with really great internet mm -hmm. and go there and complete your tasks and then go back to your life, which is, for me, on the road, a bus. When I'm at home, if I don't have a place that I can work at at home, go and find a coffee shop. Go there with the intention of working 
And, and just walking into a different physical environment really can change your mindset, I feel. I totally agree, actually. Yeah, so that's a big one. And then otherwise, I'm on a plane a lot. So, like you said, in the lounge, crush it for 45 minutes mm -hmm. and then get on the next one. Yeah, it, it makes a, a huge difference. Um, I know some people like to just uh, use timers. Uh, yeah, I've heard about when this. When they're in the studio, like... There's a particular system, I forget what it's Pomodoro called. Pomodoro method. Yeah, 30 yeah. minutes or something? 20. Or 20 or, minutes. Or maybe it's adjustable. Roll. Maybe it's like you start with five and then yeah. you go. I don't know because lots of people have made variations on it. But I think, if I, maybe I'm wrong, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that you're supposed to build up your ability to focus on one task at a time. So you start at five. You set the timer at yep. five so that it's no big deal. Anyone can focus for five minutes kind of idea. Of course uh, I can. I'd challenge yeah. that notion. Well, but that's what you should be telling yourself. I've like, met a few people who yeah. can't focus for five seconds. <laughs> well, then do one minute. So, you know what I mean? That's like the idea is you pick a time mm -hmm. amount increment that you feel confident you can do. And that's like, come on, dude. Just yeah. do one minute. Just do five minutes. Like, don't you get can, distracted. Yeah. Don't pick up your phone. You can Don't do this. Snack. Five minutes. Yeah. You set the timer, and then uh, it's almost like we're we're so addicted to these distractions that like so when the timer goes off, then you're supposed to like check Facebook, check your text, do all that yep. stuff, get out of your system, and then go right back. Go back into set it. the timer again, and over time, then it becomes ten minutes, then it becomes fifteen, then twenty, then mm -hmm. thirty, an hour. Yep. So people can develop an attention span because that's yeah. something that we're losing pretty quickly. <laughs> it's it's really really important, man. The oh yeah. One of the things that I've noticed that is common among like every single successful person I know across across fields, whether they're producers or businessmen or musicians, whatever, is they all have the ability to focus when when it comes time to focus, like. Whether they have ADD or not, like it doesn't yeah, matter. Or they, some kind of autism yeah. spectrum thing, yeah. which I think a lot of them do. I'm sure. <laughs> I think a lot of them do too, at least in music. Well, yeah. um, but they figure out a way to just zone in. And oh, like, yeah. It, and and, and the, the puzzle factor becomes such a, a huge part is how to engage your brain and for particularly a lot of producers and mixers. Like, mm -hmm. How do I make this song better? I've got to make it better. Or how do I make this mix better? It's I've got to find niches to carve out and build up and mm -hmm. you know I have a lot of experiences watching Will work for for instance and sometimes that guy doesn't stop working for hours he doesn't look at anything he just is zoned in, right in yeah and, and there, there must be some kind of fascination with the, the solving the puzzle mm -hmm. for sure because he is a machine like, does he talk to you while he's doing it, or is it just oh, like... Sometimes. I mean, I, I don't always go into his room and bother him, but, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're talking about a guy that sometimes is working 140 hours a week. <laughs> <laughs> it's And he doesn't get worse. He's just a phenom in that regard. Mm -hmm. I don't recommend it for the average mere mortal. Like, Yeah, it's, it's important to note that what the outliers can do shouldn't yeah. be... Like, you shouldn't get discouraged... And also, but you shouldn't also be striving to attain that. Yeah, yeah. If you can't do that, there's a certain amount of people that can thrive on a very short amount of sleep, mm -hmm. and some people just can't. Some people are born seven feet tall and great at basketball, and some yeah. aren't. And it's it is what it is. But it's better to not to not uh, 
kid yourself about what you are because because it doesn't mean that you can't achieve success or your goals. Exactly. It just means that you have to go about it a different way. Yeah, and and for some people they will get to that that limit of their energy and mm -hmm. they'll push through it and really they're just doing themselves a disservice. Have a good night's sleep. Whatever idea that you were struggling on for four hours from 10 p.m. till 2 a.m., if you just slept, you might have come up within five minutes by the time you wake up. Mm -hmm. and, and that happens to me all the time. So it's just, you know, reminding yourself, like, hang on, I'm not being productive. Like, consciously tell yourself, you're not being productive right now. You're just kind of traipsing through things. Do something else or go to sleep and come back to it later. You know, it's interesting. When recording drummers... I encounter this a lot, and the uh, the tough part is, you know, there comes a point where they just aren't playing as well. Like, you know, they, they hit the peak, it's yep. downhill from there. They could keep going physically because they're professionals, but it's just, you know, it's past the peak oh, for yeah. the day. But, like, they're the kind of people that... The reason they got so good is because they pushed themselves. Like, they are like some of these drummers, some of these metal extreme drummers. Extreme athletes. Yes, exactly. They are extreme athletes. I always used to call them, like, the Olympic athletes of music or something. So they didn't get there by chilling out. And so when you're in the studio and you're like, all right, uh, let's wrap this and do it tomorrow, <coughs> you sometimes get the reaction that, like, no, I want to get this now. And they get mad. It's like, it's, it's hard to... Sometimes the pride issue, there's a pride involved. And also, I'm speaking on a personal level of like being able to stop and feel good about it. That's the tough part, in my opinion, is yeah. stopping and being chill about it. I think once you start stopping yourself and realizing when you start again, you'll be better. Mm -hmm. is It's just something you have to start doing. Yeah. It is hard to say... By not doing work, I'm going to do better work. Yeah. <laughs> it's counterintuitive, you know. But it's so true. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason for why the weekend was invented, too. <laughs> and it really does make, <coughs> make a difference. Oh, yeah. Even though I don't take them very often. No, me either. <laughs> so, I mean, how many days off do you get? Me? Um, this month? None. Uh, I had a day off couple of weeks ago um, I had a week off that being said the week off was spending the day with my daughter and then I'd, I'd go back to my hotel and work until about 2am or 3am sounds like a week off <laughs> yeah it's I mean you do an 8 hour day instead of a 16 hour day so that's a day off for me <laughs> do you ever get an actual full uh, I do try to take them off um, try to spend time with my girlfriend or with my daughter if we're going to do something crazy. Um, but otherwise, not very often. You know, I, there's always something to do. I get probably 200 emails a day. So that's, so that's another thing. you can't really take that much time. No, and, and if it's a Sunday somewhere, it's a Monday somewhere else. And if it's a Saturday somewhere, it's still Friday somewhere else. And... <laughs> So really, you only get this small time frame on a Saturday night where people aren't going to bug you too much, for mm -hmm. me at least. Hey everybody, if you're enjoying this podcast, then you should know that it's brought to you by URM Academy. 
Your Academy's mission is to create the next generation of audio professionals by giving them the inspiration and information to hone their craft and build a career doing what they love. You've probably heard me talk about Nail the Mix before, and if you're a member, you already know how amazing it is. At the beginning of the month, Nail the Mix members get the raw multi-tracks to a new song by artists like Bring Me the Horizon, Gojira, Asking Alexandria, Machine Head, and Papa Roach, among many, many others. Then, at the end of the month, the producer who mixed it comes on and does a live streaming walkthrough of exactly how they mix the song on the album and takes your questions live on air. You'll also get access to MixLab, our collection of dozens of bite-sized mixing tutorials that cover all the basics, as well as Portfolio Builder, which is a library of pro-quality multitracks cleared for your use in your portfolio, so your career will never again be held back by the quality of your source material. And for those who really want to step up the game, we have another membership tier called URM Enhanced, which includes everything I already told you about and access to our massive library of fast tracks, which are deep, super detailed courses on intermediate and advanced topics like gain staging, mastering, low end, and so forth. It's over 40 hours of content, and man, let me tell you, this stuff is just insanely detailed. Enhanced members also get access to one-on-one -on -one office hour sessions with us and Mix Rescue, which is where we open up one of your mixes on a live video stream, fix it up, and talk you through exactly what we're doing at every step. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, if you're ready to level up your mixing skills and your audio career, head over to urmacademy.com to find out more. So I wanna switch, uh, I wanna switch directions here because I've been talking about this for a while. I wanna talk about your history a little bit because we talked about it on Creative Live, but I'm sure that most of our listeners have not seen that episode. So. Um, you have a very, very interesting history, and I want to I wanna just go into that because um, one thing that I've admired about you is the ability to, uh, your ability to envision your future and then create it. And uh, you were in the hospital, right? Yeah, like 15 years ago. Yeah, can you talk about that a little bit? Um, I played rugby most of my life to a pretty high level. And just one day, some guy kneed me in the face in a game. And it crushed like the right side of my face. So my nose, eye sockets, where I have the glasses. Cheekbone, jaws all broken. You know, my nose is It destroyed like, you. Yeah, my nose is not attached to my face like at all. Wow, it's that. all messed up. Depending on which way I sleep <laughs> every day, it goes a different way. Um, so yeah, that was like pretty brutal and I'd been thinking about doing, uh, playing rugby through college and, and maybe taking it up as a professional career. And then the doctor... So you were in it? Oh yeah, 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 I was in it. I was training hours and hours every day of the week. Okay. Sometimes six to eight hours a day. So this, sport, so this was... Schoolwork and... All right, so this was like what you were doing with your life. Yes, this okay. is what I was doing and I was going to go to college and what, whatever and see what happened. And then I crushed my face brutally and uh, basically had nearly a year off school, grade 12, which is your final year in Australia. I was 16 turning 17. So they're like, no more rugby for you. Like, no boxing, no anything where you're going to get hit in the face. Real uh, because that's how long it took to just heal to where... That and, and there was some residual damage that can't be corrected. Like, there's a piece of bone mm -hmm. inside of my eyeball and there's piece of bone missing out of my eye socket here. Mm -hmm. and 
they're just like, no more sports, you can't do sports. I'd have to have crazy corrective surgery I and see. get like a plate or something that are really invasive stuff. So when it happened, uh, could you feel it? Uh, I played the rest of the game. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And then... then um, you guys are fucking animals, yeah, man. Yeah, it was crazy. And then I guess I didn't really have the wherewithal to know what was going on. And like, and no one on your team or the coach the, yeah, was they like, iced it, hey, your face is, like, there melting. There dudes in my, my team that would, like, cr like crack their, their scalp open and they'd just put staples in and had my eyebrows stapled shut one day to go back out and play. Spray some kind of numbing stuff. I don't know what they would do on it and just keep playing. Um, it's not like American football where you got all these pads and stuff like that. Rugby union is the brutalest sport <laughs> there is, I believe. So, And then I guess somehow I decided to walk home and no medical staff or whoever like stopped me. I just kind of snuck off and started walking home and this friend of mine's father was driving home like found me on the side of the road and... Took me home and then uh, I didn't do anything about it. I just kept going to school. Wait, wait, so your parents didn't notice? No, no, no. It was like a, a slow thing. So everything okay. had become separated. But the point of impact oh, was on like okay. the cheekbone. Oh, okay. I see. I see. And then it slowly started. You okay, know, so you took a hard hit, but there wasn't a lot of visible. No, it's not like my face immediately caved oh, okay. in. Okay, so it wasn't like a sucking chest wound or. Yeah, no, not. It's not like I got shot in the. Okay, I see. So just a really hard hit that did a lot of internal damage. Yeah, yeah. And no one could really some tell. Probably hectic concussion. And then, then I started having, like, problems focusing at school. And I didn't realise that I'd actually just been blacking out. And this teacher who actually interviewed me to attend the school, um, who was a great mentor of mine, was like, you're sleeping in the class. I'm like, I'm not going to sleep. She's like you just keep being like asleep <laughs> and she realized one day i just went bang <laughs> and she like an I, narcoleptic yeah i guess she like got my parents involved and they're like okay well, this guy's got to go to the hospital and i got cat scan after cat scan after cat scan and they're like your whole face is broken <laughs> <laughs> surprise so they, they like pulled me out of school and Were everything you playing rugby this whole time no 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 i'd, I'd had a little bit of time away from okay. the rugby. Just by chance? Uh, just by the fact that my face really hurt. <laughs> okay, so it did hurt. Yeah, oh, it okay. hurt brutally. I smashed my whole face, but my household was not a go to hospital. Oh, Got it. Broke your okay. arm. It's, let me fix that up I'm for you. I'm just trying to understand because, like, my, uh, my mom, for instance, has an uh, intense knowledge of medical stuff. Yes. And so it's the kind of thing like where I hit my head once as a kid, and it was like immediate. The, to the what hospital. Happened. Yeah, it, there were no fucking around. Yeah. So that's it's just a different. It's just different. I'm just yeah. trying to understand. So very, very, uh, very old school upbringing. Both my parents were in the military, so mm -hmm. you know, just, you know, just suck walk, it up, just walk, walk it off, it off yeah. you know. And I and I tried to. I didn't realize the seriousness of it. And it when they started giving me CAT scans and everything, they're like, oh, gee, your whole face is pulled apart. Jesus Christ. Man. So, yeah, my whole jaw, the bite and everything is, like, out. Like, everything's wrong with my face at the moment. All so. right, so what happened when they were like, your face is broken, dude? So, obviously, I couldn't play rugby anymore. I'm just sitting around going, well, what the hell am I going to do? I couldn't go to school. But they um, put you in the hospital or anything? Yeah, yeah, I was in hospital. I was on uh, bed rest, and they were trying to, like, fix my face and stuff. Surgeries? Then yeah. And then... <laughs> Okay, so you're to, better yeah, and, than surgeries. Dif yeah. Different stuff to try and keep my face the way that it was. Got it. Then I go back to the school. 
I'm like, oh, well, need to do some kind of sport. I start playing volleyball just in, like, a, a physical education class. And my school was, like, the Australian champion volleyball school for decades, right? Mm -hmm. So everyone's real good. I don't play, but I'm like, oh, I'll just participate. Some dude spikes the ball into my pinky finger and just, like, shatters, shatters it. It's <laughs> called a spiral fracture. It goes straight down through the knuckle into the hand. And the bone came out. I'm like... I've been at home for ages doing nothing. I come back to school and this happens. <laughs> and the teacher goes, oh, hey, guys, remember we were learning about subluxations last week? Let's have a look at this. This is a classic subluxation. Goes to correct the finger because I'm just like, this is Your screwed teacher. up. Yeah, yeah. And, and, he, and he personally thanked me for not suing him. Um, oh, no. Just goes, goes to put it back in and the bone just goes beep. <laughs> And he was just, nope. <laughs> so I had, to, I had it like that for like a day or something. Well, they had to oh, so you didn't go to the surgery. hospital? No, I had to go to the hospital like okay. the next day or whatever. It was brutal. You didn't go right then? No, no. Walked that off too? <laughs> yeah. So they like put a little splint on it and bandaged it and they're like, oh, this guy's going to have to get his finger put back together. Yeah, no big deal. So yeah, they did that. They put my finger back together. Then, um, so this is after... After the face crushing okay. and all this, this is like the middle of my final year of school. Okay, so how much, like what, like nine months had elapsed? Eight months, nine oh, months? Oh, no, less, like three or four months. Ah, okay, so your face probably still hurt and... Yeah, uh, it still hurts now. Okay. Uh, particularly in the cold. But break the finger, have to go into the hospital, can't do anything, can't play sport. My teachers uh, agree that I've completed all of the, um, what do you call it? all of the tasks that I have to do to be graded. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd completed them mostly in my 11th grade. Anyhow, because it's another story, but I finished my schooling rather early and just kind of stayed. So, break the finger, early midlife crisis, I can't play rugby, my hand's broken, what am I gonna do? I really like guitar. Ask my mother to buy me a guitar magazine while I'm in the hospital. <laughs> and then I just started teaching myself how to read tabs. While like, in the hospital bed. Yeah, right? without, like, knowing how to play a guitar or anything. So. so, have you heard of the band Psyopus? Yes. By any chance? Okay, they were... Crazy tech grind. Crazy tech grind, yeah. Like, from the mid-2003 through eight era, uh -huh. um, the guitar player, uh, Chris Arp, is a genius. And he went to prison for something, um, or jail, Naughty for boy. a long time. Mm -hmm. I don't know what he did. He's a great guy, so I forgive him. <laughs> uh, and it couldn't have been that bad because he wasn't there for that long. But while he was there, uh, he got a cardboard piece and drew a fretboard uh -huh. on it and wrote his whole... And you know what their music's like. Yeah. Okay, he wrote their whole next album in his head looking at that That's fretboard. That's some crazy... That is some crazy shit. Crazy old school composer stuff. Yeah. But so anyways, you taught yourself Tab... Yeah, I, I just started learning how magazines. to read tabs, what they meant, decoding, all how of that did, kind of stuff. How did you translate that to, like, were you imagining yourself playing? Like, well, no, because I, did, I didn't know, before? like, technical facility okay. or how to, like, hold a guitar or whatnot, but I knew how to approach learning the guitar. So I'd, I'd just been a very slow version of the Matrix, downloading all this information. What is mm -hmm. the string? How do you tune the strings? What do the numbers on the tab mean? You put your fingers here, here's things that 
you know, one finger per fret, all these different rules. So by the time that I could play a guitar, I couldn't play one, but I knew how to. That's, and it was that's just interesting. A, a so matter of translating that information into physical, technical, technical facility. How long did you spend, uh, yeah, matrixing this info? Oh, months, six months or so. Okay. And then I started college the next year and got a guitar and just started trying to figure it all out. All right, so a period of minimum six months from when you got your first guitar magazine and the input, yeah. <laughs> the, the downloading sequence began. Yes. So when you first got your first guitar... I, well, I must disclose, my first guitar was a two-string acoustic I stole from the neighbor's mother. Uh, <laughs> And I didn't know what a pick was, so I'd cut pieces of my school diary and like try and play things. So really, I did play a little bit of guitar, but when? Uh, probably about a year before that. Okay. And then, uh, then someone urinated into the the sound hole of the guitar, so I didn't play it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it might still be in my mother's garage. Hey. <laughs> that was nice. Man. <laughs> yeah. It had two strings, bottom two strings. So the only ones you need to be in my band. How long did you? have that guitar for that's hilarious uh well i don't know i got urinated in and so okay <laughs> so safe to say fire. pretty quick rather quickly okay yeah i'm just trying to understand like elapsed time with all these things and oh yeah to like understand like so this is moving into like 2004 okay and then i probably joined or started my first band later that year i was in uni okay so for in all for all intents and purposes though you got your first guitar after six months when you started college and that's when I started just being obsessed with guitar and playing but how weird was it after like what I'm trying to like it was totally I'm trying weird to, like, nothing that I did so in my weird. my whole life whatever I thought I was gonna do I could no longer do so I'm going to college going mm, this is boring and guitar's cool and just figuring it out very dark time, you know, a bit weird. I was about to say, like, were you depressed? No, I don't think that I have depression or had depression. <laughs> so then, but you said it was dark. Uh, well, because I was going into a place where I'd, I had no knowledge. Got it. You know, uh, playing football, doing math, all of those things that I would do through school were all things that I had extensive knowledge about and, and to some extent, like, a proficiency. Mm-hmm. And then you, all so of the sudden, lights had been turned on. Yeah, in those and, and then all basically. of a sudden, I'm going into things that I don't know anything about. Like I, I decided, oh, I want to do psychology and law, and those are things. You know, if I had have followed the logical progression, I should have done like a math major or whatever, mm -hmm. and played football. But now I'm playing guitar and doing something so it's else. All new shit. Yeah. And how weird was it when, like, the actual process of learning how to physically take that information that you had been downloading into your head like how weird was it especially at first when you got a guitar like it's like okay i understand all these things that are probably way more advanced than i can imagine playing for a while yes where do you start um just the basic building blocks early on because i was reading all these guitar magazines i was finding out about players that non-guitar players probably wouldn't notice or be interested in Paul Gilbert, John Petrucci, mm -hmm. Steve Vai, Satriani. So I'm like, who the hell are these guys? Like, I didn't, I didn't even listen to music growing <laughs> what up. What have they done? I'm like, I don't know who this guy is. And uh, so I just read all these different exercises and, and a lot of the stuff was over my head. And mm -hmm. I don't think that that should discourage people. It just piques my curiosity. 
well, what the hell is this, you know, modal axis system that Steve I is talking about? And what is this chromatic exercise? What's chromatic? Like, I don't, you know, I literally didn't know anything aside from what I'd been reading. And mm -hmm. so I just find these different lanes to take. Then I got the guitar and I'm like, okay, so, you know, let's just start with these chromatic exercises and start doing that. And some days I'd do it for like eight hours a day and just be a real brute to myself. Um, and then there was there were a lot of things. I'd buy the records and I hadn't really listened to much music at that point in my life. So I'm getting these Dream Theater records. I'm like, this sounds pretty out there. I'm not really into it. <laughs> And then the guitar playing, I'm like, that's crazy. And I knew nothing about recording. I'm like, how's this guy doing it? There's got to be some kind of wizardry. And then I got the Live at Budokan DVD from Dream Theatre. And I'm like, this is going to be good. Let's see how good this guy really is. There's no one can actually play that fast. And then he did it. I'm like, <sighs> it's like, you really do just have to. I mean, in all the interviews, they would just be talking about, I played for 12 hours a day. I, I like, remember okay. once I read an interview, because I think they went to high school together or they went to high schools near All each other. All those guys are from Long and, Island, yeah, except for exactly. PG, I think. So. so they knew each other and they had a rule where they each had to put in six hours on high school days, not on weekends. They each had to put in six hours on their own before they'd be allowed to go to this hangout spot they would all meet at. So they knew that if they like <laughs> saw the other guy, they're gonna bring yeah, get in. <laughs> yeah, if they if you were if you're uh, whoever from Team Theater and John Petrucci rolls up to hang out at their you high school hangout spot, he's put in his six hours. Right. They they kept themselves to it. No, I I definitely did a lot of partying and drinking at that time too, but a lot of metronome work, um, just developing the basic techniques and whatnot. And what what did you? I mean, most people don't start with that stuff. That's what I started with. I wasn't <laughs> learning stupid chords or songs. I was straight into rock discipline. Like that was mm -hmm. the first thing that I tried doing. I imagine you advanced pretty quickly. Yeah. So I. If I had a free day, I'd, I'd just set up a metronome. Every time I played an exercise three times perfectly, I'd speed it up four BPM. If I made an error, even if it was on the last note or the third time around, I'd slow it down eight BPM. <laughs> and I would just do that. <laughs> like, yeah, man. For ages. <laughs> so, yeah. Been I'd, there. I, uh, I was already way ahead of myself knowledge-wise, and I... I'd, I'd, you know, I, I take that approach to almost everything that I do, like mm -hmm. develop as much core understanding and, and knowledge about a thing. Even if you don't have time to practice or, or the physical ability, when you have the time, it's really just about taking that information and putting it through the muscles and, and making it happen. You know, something that the old concertmaster for the Atlanta Symphony told me, and for anyone who doesn't know, concertmaster is the lead violinist. They're number one, the person who comes out, tunes the orchestra, that person usually gets, um, like in a symphonic season, gets like one solo concert where they're the feature. And uh, what she told me was that the way that she really knows that she knows a piece that she's about to do, like a Beethoven violin concerto or something insane like that, is after all the physical practice, she lays down on the floor and just closes her eyes and imagines herself playing it from start to finish. Yep. And she will fuck up while, while playing it in her head. And so if she 
she'll go back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. And she knows that once she can play it in her head from start to finish, she's ready to go on stage. That's cool. Yeah, same idea. Visualization uh, and mental preparation is probably the, one of the biggest things that I use to, to lo uh, like acquire skills mm -hmm. very quickly. So where did you see it going? Like, did you want to get into a band? Oh, I had no idea. I was just going to uni and I had a new girlfriend and some friends of mine that, that I played with in school, like played football with, also played some music and they were teaching me how, like, how to apply the technical facility into something. They're like, hey, you should check out this band and you should play this song and we'll teach you how to play it. Because mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, I, I never really enjoyed music. I didn't have a musical family. I didn't have time to listen to music. I'm just playing football or doing math or going to school. Mm -hmm. So th they're just bombarding me with all of this new information and culture and going, you know, if you can play a guitar, you can play songs with other people. I'm like, really? Okay. And I didn't, Interesting idea. Yeah. We started going to gigs together. And I'm like, okay, this is pretty cool. And so that, that first year in university, I was just doing a lot of that, going to uni, working, practicing guitar, and then people were going, hey, come to this show and let's go and see this show. And it's funny, though, that you say first year. Man, to get to that point, most people are already playing for like five years just to get to that point. Yeah. But so when did you get to your first band? And wasn't it uh, It was like right away. Within a year, right? Yeah. And wasn't it a pretty big band? No, no. Uh, that was like two or three years later. Oh, uh, okay, got it. I started playing guitar for this band called The Amity Affliction, which is mm -hmm. now like the biggest rock band in Australia. So within two or three years of playing guitar? Yeah. It's insane. So, so the, your first band is it? Was it like a nobody band? Just yeah, it was just. I mean, I wouldn't even say that they were bands. It was like a couple of got it. This group of friends we get together and play music, and then this group of friends we get together and play covers, and they're just making me play songs by bands that I don't even know. But it was great because I'm acquiring songwriting skills or different mm -hmm. techniques and whatever to play the material. And then some of these guys and some of those guys want to start another band, and you know. Okay. So it was that, playing a little bit of metal, mostly punk rock because it was a lot easier. But then how does that lead to getting into a big band within two or three years of even Just starting music? In networking, I made lots of friends. Troy Brady, who's the former guitar player of that band, uh, became like a close friend of mine. So when he was like, hey, we need another guitar player to come on tour... It was, it was just like, you can do it. Well, was that your goal at all, to join their band? I didn't even know. Oh, okay. They were one of the first bands that I'd even seen. Um, okay. So it was that band and Parkway Drive, which is another band that I've played guitar for. So <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of weird. They were like my first two shows that I saw because they were local to me. It's just coincidental that I ended up playing guitar for both of them and they ended up becoming the two biggest heavy metal bands from Australia ever. So you understand how weird that is. It's very coincidental. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's very bizarre. So I started doing that, and, and he really took me under my wing in terms of like writing popular music for mm. in a heavy context. Uh, we would do a lot of writing together. He started teaching me about making demos and recording and basic Pro Tools usage. Gave me my first real guitar, which was an ESP Viper, like a LTD 1000 Deluxe, back when you guys used to make cool guitars. <laughs> quality is not so good anymore but they were fantastic guitars i had an army of 1000 deluxes and they were awesome so he gave me that and i used that to play in his band and just kept playing that guitar and that's where i did the majority of my formative time was with that particular instrument the frets are so ground down 
It's unbelievable. It's just totally unusable now. So how did uh, how did that lead to I guess Parkway Drive and then Thy Art? And at what point in time? How long had you been playing guitar, uh, dude? It's just like let me just say what's the thing that's crazy, and I'm sure you know it, but like when you hear about dudes and bands and stuff that are big or the biggest in their scene, you're talking generally about guys who have been playing no less than five years, but more like 10, yeah. who have been into music since they were 12 and who like have had several bands along the way, not guys who didn't even play guitar until two years ago, taught themselves in a hospital bed and then joined the two biggest bands in their country. It's just weird. I don't know. That's right, cool. Right place, right time. Um, there, there's a lot of, you know, other things. I, I don't want to say that they're deliberate movements socially, but, you know... But they were deliberate movements socially? No, no, well, not with the end goal in mind, but but certainly positioning yourself as someone that mm -hmm. people like, that some someone that people respect, being reliable, mm -hmm. uh, having... I'm not very talented, but having some base level of talent that's usable. And then if the the requirement ever appears, then you might be selected. Well, how would you get to the point of even being respectable enough in their eyes? After... Okay, so like say that being nice I knew, say that my band was back together or something yeah. and we needed a new guitar player and I knew a kid that had been playing for a year and a half who was very talented I, and he wanted to do it. I still won't let him in, but I mean, I'd probably help him get better and get him to the right coach and like watch his career and maybe be like, well, maybe in five years we can do something. But like, where, because they haven't, they typically, they're not nearly good enough at that point. But like, so I wouldn't even see, I wouldn't even see it as an option. That's the thing, right. not even a respect or disrespect thing. It wouldn't even be an option in my head. Uh -huh. So like, how do you, like, what did you do to be able to even be an option like to get the respect enough as a musician in that quick period of time to where they would even consider it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess the first stage is having the technical ability to perform mm -hmm. the, the music. Um, obviously, we're talking about a whole other set of social skills that one requires to be on the road for a lengthy amount of time. Yeah. Being very malleable, adaptable, uh, having good endurance men mentally, emotionally, physically. Mm -hmm. Um, so just having having that skill set, and you see people on tour all the time. It's like he's a fantastic guitar player, but I would never let him play in my band because let alone in my house. He, yeah, he's just going to create too many issues. He's mm -hmm. going to be too demanding. He's going to be grumpy. He's going to be like, oh, I need to do this. It's like, go and do it then. Don't trouble me with it. Yeah. You know. So just being kind of independent like that, but also being able to play in a team. Uh, I guess maybe your sports background did prepare you in that way. Yeah, maybe, I mean, there's a lot a of in, independent and, and team training. So with the, the Amity thing, I just was friends with Troy. He saw me play guitar all the time. He knew that I was pretty good at guitar. Um, and, and that band's not a technical band. It's about the song. So he was like, hey, you, you can play the stuff. Like, it's not hard. Just play the songs how they are. So I did that and then left that and started playing in a hardcore band called Abraxas. Mm -hmm. It's like this underground, holy terror hardcore group in Australia. 
And I'd been doing that and learning some basic like engineering skills. This is in the late 2000s, 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'd been working like at an a independent record label in Australia, which put out Dieter's Murder's CDs. So I would see them, they would come by when they were on tour and whatnot, and they were like, hey, we need a guitar player, like the bass player's not working out. The were ba- they the guitar established at that point? Like, were they... Um, this is 2009. They'd done their EP. They were working on the album, mm-hmm. The Adversary. And I'd been playing guitar for four or five years at this point. And so um, they needed a guitar player. And Sean but, but were they like a bass. big band yet? Not or, internationally, no. But in Australia? In Australia, you know, probably a couple hundred at a club. Okay, so... So doing... On their way. Shows, yeah. Uh, not like a, a major headline mm-hmm. act, but in, in the world that Die Art exists in, at that point in time, that was about as big as it was getting. There was one band bigger called The Red Shore. So it's actually kind of a step down for you, in a way. Uh, well, no, it was more to my taste, you know. Okay, got it. Um, but I mean in terms of size... Yeah, you already played oh, it. for you sure. Yeah, played yeah the band was band. definitely much yeah. smaller. I mean, okay. uh, Amity will play to five to 8,000 people a yeah. night in Australia. Uh, if we play to 1,000, we're happy. So, And that's now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they needed a guitar player, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. i got nothing on this week. They go, okay, uh, your first show is tomorrow, <laughs> and you need to learn like 15 songs or whatever. So I, I learned them and then played a show the next day. How did you go about learning 15 songs in one day? Good um, enough for show. I don't know. Uh, they just taught me the songs, and I, I didn't. I wasn't even like a fan of the band's music. I was into metal, and but, and being a technical guitar player mm-hmm. at that stage, so I was like, this is a perfect vehicle for me to to get involved and learn more about writing metal songs, play guitar solos, all that kind of stuff. Well, so I don't know if you know of a guy named Kevin Talley. He's an old drummer. Drummer, yes. yes used to play with him. But he's been hired by lots of bands. Uh-huh. Uh, lots of times, same day. Yep. Like, I remember once with Devil Driver, he, John, John Birkin, back when he was in, got food poisoned in the morning. They flew, they bought Kevin a plane ticket at 11. He arrived by 3, did a sound check, they played a show. He had never played with them before. Yep. Uh, he learned the set on the flight. Mm-hmm. And he's done that multiple times um, and saved bands that way. And That's how I did Parkway. <laughs> yeah, he, does, he learns it in his head. Yeah, and then And then what happens happens in real life. Yeah. Uh, so with 15 songs, was there a method? Like, do you remember, was there a method that you, like, organized the material or that um, you got it under your fingers? I or? think a lot of it comes with, like, freeing up your brain entirely mm-hmm. and not thinking about anything. Um, and then just really driving home repetition as, as fast as possible because developing like the neural network and the, the muscle memory is super important. You're not consciously going to remember that many notes in a night. But um, I mean, developing muscle memory for 15 songs in one night is also... Yeah, it was actually the order. morning of the show. So we were driving to the <laughs> show and they were teaching me in the van. So, and I didn't even know their songs, so I'm like listening to the songs for the very first time. And uh, just going through it that way. Um, so it was how, interesting. How did the show go? It was fine. Okay. It was like the start of a two-week-long tour. And then uh, I was in the band. So then we just started going from there. <laughs> and then with the Parkway thing, it was a similar situation. Like, I'm, I'm friends with the guys now. 
their production manager is a great friend of mine. He's also the arts production manager in Australia. And I was getting, we were doing a tour together in Australia in 2015. And he calls me up as I'm boarding my flight at LAX. He's like, Jeff's just like torn his hands. He's got to go in for surgery. He can't play. Um, you have to like learn, here's the set list. And I'm like downloading the songs to my Spotify to learn, learn on the plane. <laughs> and then I got to Australia and started doing shows with him. That's amazing. Yeah, so that was just a, another instance. Mm -hmm. Obviously, no one wishes that upon someone. Yeah. But they needed someone. They knew that I was able to do it. They knew that I wasn't a dickhead. So I learned the material and then that turned into a two-year-long part-time thing where someone else got injured and I had to... I've played both guitar parts and bass for the band now. It's, it's interesting. Like, when people talk about... You know how a lot of people give advice about the music industry and they're like, you know, most important thing is going to be the word of mouth generated about you, so what people think of you. Mm -hmm. um, like, if you're going for something like what you do, hugely important, and that is just the perfect perfect example of of that in action. Yep, I guess um, so. Be, yeah. good, be good enough and be a good person, and yeah. if an opportunity arises, maybe you'll get selected. Exactly. So... We've been talking for a while, and I know you got to get out of here, so I want to um, just ask you a few questions from our listeners. That Sure. Uh, the first one is from Charles Elliott. Oh, God. <laughs> and, uh, Hello, Charles. He said, how sexy is your publicist slash product manager on a scale from 1 to 10? Um, I'd say 11, honestly. Oh, I don't know. He didn't put zero in there, but <laughs> it's a firm zero, Charles. <laughs> Um, yeah. Zero. Sorry, Charles. He never comes and hangs out with me, so it's a zero. <laughs> Here's one from Adam Humphreys. In your experience, what's the most difficult thing people don't usually mention about touring besides the money part or missing home? The most difficult part is, um, oh, geez, there's a lot of difficult parts. I try to circumnavigate those or find solutions to make them <laughs> not be difficult. Uh, logistics are a big one. Good, good planning, organisation, leading and controlling of the situation is essential. And that's most people screw that up big time. That is tough at first. So, so tough, to you know. Flights, visas, vehicles, equipment moving the equipment, merchandise, moving the merchandise, accounting, all mm -hmm. of that. The, it's a big thing that, when it's done correctly, makes the experience for all the crew and the band members far more enjoyable because they're not stressed out about stuff. They're going to have what they need and, you know, having familiar stuff as well is important. You know, what's interesting too is not only does it make the experience better for you, but, like, say that you're a smaller band, like, say you're second out of five... What, how together you have that stuff reflects on how you're going to get treated and whether or not you're going to get asked to do other tours. Oh, yeah. We, we always tried to act very professionally and be very prepared and organized. And I mm -hmm. think, you know, as more opportunities present themselves, you're more likely to be invited to step towards them. Absolutely. So here's one from Max Geffen. At many local shows, especially metal ones, whenever a guitarist has a lead part or a solo, it's almost impossible to hear what they're playing 
through the rest of the band. When you guys played in Brisbane on your tour in February, the one thing I noticed was how clearly your lead tone stuck out from the mix. How did you manage to keep a consistent lead tone in a live setting without it getting drowned out by the band? Kemper. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some special profiles that aren't available to the public. They're the profiles off of the album Dear Desolation that we put out last year. Um, so it's like basically the, the tone on the record. Will has a, a way of going back and reverse profiling an already recorded guitar part because mm-hmm. uh, you keep the DI so it makes it a little bit easier. Um, so we put those on there. Obviously they're great profiles from the get-go and then uh, great guitar, great pickups um, using the Ernie Ball Music Man Majesty series. Not the biggest fan of the bridge pickup but most of the soloing I do is on the neck pickup and I don't know what John Petrucci and Damasio did, but the, those new neck pickups are like perfect for me. That really helps cutting through. And then secondly, I guess the, the barrier to entry to having good sound is being able to afford a good sound guy. And it's yes, an unfortunate sir. reality that younger or more developing bands that aren't earning as much money can't afford a great quality sound guy. I always prioritise in our budget sound guy because Regardless of anything else, yeah, it's a business. Oh, we've got to sell T-shirts, we've got to make money, we've got to look cool, we've got to have lights. We've got to play music is the mm-hmm. first thing. That's what we're known for. And I want the music to sound good. Um, we try really hard to make good music. Then we try it. We're not the greatest live band, but we try really hard to be as, as, as good, good as we as can. You can. So why not extend that to having it be presented the best way possible? Mm-hmm. And the first element of that is the sound. I mean having the lights and having the this and the production comes secondary to that to yeah. me. And so we invest in good sound guys. Tip for uh, bands lower on tours is, uh, you know, if you get to know the sound guy from the one of the, from the direct support or the yes. headlining act, if you guys get cool with each other, oftentimes they'll be happy to we'll do it for like 30 bucks money. a night, 40, yeah, 30, some, 40, 50, just a little. Sometimes extra. I ban my sound guys from doing that. Just. Yeah, well, yeah, I was about to say, as long as they're allowed to do it. Yeah. But, uh, no, you don't want them wearing their ears out. And also, yeah. I mean, they're not to be like a, a dickhead about it, but like. They're yours. Yeah, we're paying the money. We're so don't flying try the it, guy, don't try it feeding on him. him. Yeah, don't. <laughs> don't. If you get a die artist fr- murdered. If, if we're super <laughs> friendly with another band, but otherwise, mm-hmm. it's like, well, we vetted and found and discovered this guy and we pay him really well and we look after him. You do all of that if you want to have a great sound guy. Like, you know, so good sound guy. That particular sound guy on that tour was a guy named Brandon Cagle out of Knoxville, Tennessee. Used to play guitar in Whitechapel and talk about overcoming adversity. He was in a motorcycle accident, lost the use of one whole arm from the shoulder down. Jesus. He goes, I still want to be involved with the band. that They included him as a member still. Like, he's, he's a part of our, mm-hmm. our group. And so he just learnt sound and learnt everything about live sound, and he's their live sound engineer. Wow. And thankfully, sometimes they're not on tour, so he comes with <laughs> us. Nice. So we share one guy with uh, Whitechapel, and the other guy, Twan, we share with Cannibal Corpse. Nice. And they're the two dudes. Okay, so these questions here, one guy has a few questions. If these are Will Putney questions, just just say that. Sure. You know, but I'm sure some of these are... I can probably answer are, them. ...are good for you. Pretty yeah. close. So from Justin Deschal, hey Andy, how do you go about finding and creating guitar and bass tones for the context of studio mix versus live use? 
Uh, well, we use the studio guitar tones live through the power of the Kemper now, uh, being able to profile those tones. This last record has, it's like probably my favorite guitar tone that we've had. And Will and I literally were in a room reamping for hours, like dialing tones. And uh, it's funny because we're on tour with Dying Fetus at the moment, but I was referencing the guitar tone to Reign Supreme by Dying Fetus. <laughs> he was like, yeah, it's sick. I'm like, yeah, I want something like that. Like, let's go for that. So we're going through all these different amps, cabs, pedals. It's the, the beauty of reamping. You don't have to think about mm -hmm. playing the guitar. It's just focus on the, the sonic quality and we're trying forever and like what if we use this amp or do this or like maybe it needs to be more scooped like what frequency does the scoop need to be at you know um and so you're finding the just to clarify the frequency scoop through the miking through through miking uh will obviously has a lot of outboard as well mm -hmm. so i mean you, you can go through and and all the mics will come back through a summing mixer so we get mm -hmm. one line back into the computer uh, he's very confident in committing like that. I mm -hmm. mean, he's obviously he's a very talented engineer, so he can commit to things that I would be too afraid to. Yep. So everything gets summed, so he's able to put outboard effects on that one channel. Otherwise, you'd have like, I think we ended up using like seven or eight microphones on three different cabs and two or three different amps blended to make that sound. And being able to profile that is only possible because we sum to one channel. So we're doing that, going over and over it for hours and hours, and then he goes, Ugh, I know why we can't get it, like, kind of this, the exact same vibe. And I was like, what? What is it? And he's like, tuning. They're in a different tuning. We're like, <laughs> no wonder it sounds more punchy. Like, ours <laughs> is going to sound a little bit sludgier because of the lower tuning. So then we're like, okay, well, we're in the ballpark. Like, let's just dial it. And, you know, Will's a guitar tone master, so he's just doing his super science dog hearing bat whistle bullshit and uh, he got it. And then we use those tones on the road. And you can get the tones from the last two records through his Kemper bundle pack, which is for sale on the internet. STL tones, right? Yes. Okay. That's the one. Cool. Um, here's one from Garrett Prater. And again, some of the, these are engineering questions, so if... They're for you, cool, if not, cool too. Let me just disclose, yeah. I'm not the engineer. Will does everything because he's a mad scientist, but I can probably give some insight onto the processes. What are some of your general moves when it comes to overall punch and clarity throughout vocals, drums, guitars, and bass, like in Defective Breed, super punchy, especially while working in bass drops? And what's your go-to flow for hard panning guitars as an effect while maintaining fullness of the sound? Do you also pan bass? like in laceration, penetration. Those all sound like Will Putney questions. Laceration, penetration is before Will. Oh, okay. um, there you go. So Will obviously has lots of different techniques that he employs. Um, we adapt some of those to the live use and also we mix our own in-ears, so we've adapted some of those. Uh, one important thing is a parallel mix bus. You have mix mm -hmm. bus compression. If you put an 808 into it, you're just going to compress your mix more and do that really shitty thing that happened in Deathcore 10 years ago where every time the 808 hit, the music just disappeared. So being able to send things outside of your mix bus compression is super important. And you can float vocals, overheads, all that kind of stuff. Outside of it, you need a little bit more volume and you find that it's just triggering your compression more. Send it outside of compression. Um, it's a pretty simple solution, obviously. Phase relationships, pretty important. We hard pan guitars. One of the things our band's known for is the, the this thing. Mm -hmm. Some people pull them in. We're just 100, 100. So, yeah. 
That's yeah. that. And rarely if one guitar is playing for a substantial amount of time, then it's pulled in. So if you had headphones on, you'd get something over there. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, and this will be the last question because you know you got to get out of here. It's from Charlie Chugs. I bet you that's not his last name. Yeah, no. Um, what are some of your favorite tools for writing pre-production songs? Uh, Pro Tools. I'm yeah. a big Pro Tools fan. Will's been trying to get me to use Logic for years. It would probably make the process of porting our stuff into his system a lot Yeah, but then smoother. you'd be using Logic. Then I'd be using Logic. I mean, those dudes at Graphic Nature fly on Logic, so... You know, don't they still edit drums and Pro Tools though? Yeah, yeah. Unless it's like a live. They've, lately, they've been doing a lot of live recordings with some of the hardcore bands. Mm -hmm. and then they're just really going for the takes and, and yeah. doing basic comping. And you know, it, it doesn't have to be gridlocked like in Beat Detective. You can just mm -hmm. take the bar and nudge each start of bar, so it's a little bit tighter. But yeah, they use Pro Tools and Beat Detective, as does pretty much everybody. Uh, the reason that I'm bringing that up is just because uh, we have content on learning how to edit in Pro Tools, Reaper, and Cubase, and we didn't do Logic because it's not great for editing. And a the lot of people, the grid is like, yeah, it's weird. It do, it's not yeah. designed. It's not designed for it. It's a no. great DAW, but it's not designed for that. And so very creative. Uh workspace but yeah it's it's a great DAW for what it's great at but like a lot of fans of will or nolly are like yeah but these guys make great sounding records and the answer is always like but will and his whole crew do not these edits we're talking about doing like the crazy stuff is not taking place in logic oh yeah yeah so again maximizing the usage of your tools they don't like doing anything else in pro tools mm -hmm. they don't like editing drums in logic just use each tool for what you get the most out of so but Pro Tools uh, got one of those, uh, is it the Apogee Duet with the silver wheel? Yeah. Uh, probably had a few of those. They just always, someone steals them or someone else in the <laughs> band takes one home and then we have another one or it gets returned. So that is great. I mean, it's small, USB into the MacBook and um, now that we have Kempers generally with us, using that, never taking a DI, we're not that... We don't care about the takes, really. It's mm -hmm. just about getting the idea down. But before that, we were using Revolver for the longest time with the 50 on 50. And that was it. And, uh, oh, and Superior Drummer, obviously. I think his name's Bill down there. Sent us some, yeah. uh, some Superior hey, Drummer stuff. Bill Terrell, thanks a lot. We but we've used, literally used Superior Drummer to write all the records. Mm -hmm. uh, when we get to Wheels, he just does a MIDI dump and uses whatever he uses, contact, I think. But Superior Drummer is huge. And at the start of a session, I'll just make, and Sean will do the same, just make all the different kinds of drum beats that we're likely to use, a D beat, a blast beat, a bottom blast, a ride blast, and just put a bar of that at the beginning and it's just dragging, dropping, putting in stupid fills, and it's so quick. So much like your time management skills, you've incorporated that into your writing so that you can get the most out of your sessions. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's as easy as having a writing template that has a few of those drum beats already written in the MIDI. Mm -hmm. you just copy, save as, or whatever. You have your track with your guitars in there, all the usual routing. That you, I mean, I like to, even from the demo stage, as I'm putting a little mix bus compressor and having everything kind of sounding pretty good, you know? Mm -hmm. You record the thing and then it's done. So it's, uh, you know, it's just about saving time and, and maximizing the, 
the use of your brain on being creative as opposed to fighting, you know, technical issues. Yeah, I mean, who wants to do that? Uh, Anyways. No one. <laughs> Andy, thank you so much for no coming worries. on the podcast. Very cool that you were able to, even in the middle of a tour, and uh, yeah. have a happy and safe rest of your tour. I'll try to. Yeah. To get in touch with the URM podcast, visit urm.com slash podcast and subscribe today.